Well, it's nice to be able to preach without a translator. Um, <clears throat> often missionaries will go to a new country and spend two years exclusively learning a language. Um, we have not done that yet. Um, so we, we got to Japan and we, we kind of jumped right into ministry, which is good because I mean, there's, there's a lot that we can do in English, um, but uh, eventually we do, of course, want to learn the language to be able to, to really function. But um, So usually when I, when I preach, I do so with a, with a translator. Yeah. You know, one of, the, one of the hard things about learning a new language is uh, there's so many words that sound similar. Um, one of those is uh, uh, kudamono and uh, kodomo. And uh, kudamono is fruit and kodomo is child. And so I've often told Japanese people I enjoy eating children. <laughs> yeah. And uh, my... My team leader has told this story before about um, there was this young uh, missionary to Japan, missionary pastor, and he was preaching, and he was talking about vision. And in Japanese, the word for vision is bijon. But he kept saying bijin, and, uh, which means beautiful woman. So he said, what this church needs is more beautiful women. If we want to grow this church, we need beautiful women. Um, which is probably a really good growth strategy um, for the church. But, uh, so we're grateful for um, Japanese partners who give us grace um, as we muddle our way along and, and make many mistakes. Um, so the, the sermon I want to preach today is actually one that I, I preached two weeks ago in Japan. Um, as I mentioned, we have this new international church service and... Uh, this was the second week of our, of our group, and I, and I preached on this passage um, from the book of Acts, looking at the church in Antioch. Um, and in many ways, this, this congregation that we're helping to lead is similar to the church in Antioch. Um, if you look at the, the context of Acts 11, um, this is after persecution has broken out against the church. Um, of course, the, they, they persecuted the Christians in order to to stop Christianity. But, but what happened is they, as they tried to persecute the Christians, it spread the Christians all over. And so it actually advanced the gospel. Um, and so some of those new believers made it all the way um, to Antioch, um, preaching the gospel as they went. Um, during this persecution, it was led by Saul. Um, but then in Acts 9, Saul himself becomes a Christian. Um, of course, his former... Friends were not very excited about this, that uh, he was their, their ally against the Christians, and now he's joining them. And so they actually tried to kill him. But he escaped um, and ends up going on to um, Tarsus, where he lives for several years. Um, in fact, at one point, when Saul had gone to Jerusalem after becoming a Christian to try to meet the apostles, um, they were scared to meet him because they thought he was still going to attack them. Um, and there was a man named Barnabas who, um, who took Saul to go meet the apostles. Um, and we're going to see Barnabas and, and Saul both coming back together again in this story in, um, in Acts. Okay, so now I'm going to ask you to stand again, if you don't mind, uh, for the reading of God's Word. This is Acts 11, verses 19 through 30. 
Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that rose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people, and in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea, and they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Uh, please be seated. Um, so this is... Uh, I think this is a great Bible passage. Um, of course, they're, they're all great if you believe that, uh, that God has inspired the Bible, and, and, and we do. Um, but I think this passage has many wonderful things for us to see. And there's a, I think there can be a tendency to think, you know, Acts, it's kind of a boring book. There's lots of place names that I don't know, and people go there, I don't know the people, and they go there, and they preach, and people become Christians, and it just seems to happen over and over again. and It can be a little bit hard to get into. Um, but I think that God has great things to teach us from this passage. And for that to happen, uh, we need him to open our eyes and hearts. So let me pray for us before I go any further. Heavenly Father, I just ask you to bless now the preaching of your word. And um, Father, I pray your spirit would minister to us and uh, bless our hearts and minds. Father, please speak through me and bless each person here um, through the ministry of the word. And uh, God, sanctify us through your word, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So if I were to ask you the question, what are you? I wonder what you would say. <clears throat> Maybe you would tell me about your job. Uh, I'm a businessman. I'm an engineer, I'm a doctor, I'm a teacher, I'm retired, I'm a student, I'm a pastor or missionary. Maybe you'd answer me with your family role. I'm a mother, I'm a father, I'm a son or a daughter, I'm a grandfather or a grandmother. Maybe you'd answer me with your hobby or sport. I'm a musician, I'm a football player, I'm a runner, I'm a gamer, I'm a crafter, I'm a hog. Maybe it would be your nationality. I'm an American, I'm Japanese, I'm Mexican, I'm Norwegian, I'm white, I'm African American, I'm Asian. I'm Hispanic. Maybe your identity. What are you? Maybe that would be defined by your status. I'm rich. I'm poor. 
I'm the boss. I'm the low man on the totem pole. Maybe it'd be your politics. I'm a Republican. I'm a Democrat. I'm liberal. I'm conservative. I'm libertarian. I'm populist. I'm socialist. You know, identity can drive us apart. And if you look at the world, in basically any culture, people are separated by these kinds of differences. And we tend to seek out people who are similar to us, and we avoid people who are different. Because it's easier to relate to and to understand people who are like us. And it's hard to deal with people who are different. You don't have to look any further than Facebook to see how true that is. But what this passage shows us is that the church doesn't have to be that way. If you look at the church in Antioch, you see that the gospel crosses geographic and national barriers. Verse 19 says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. Now I don't have a, a map up here, but if you can, uh, huh, if you can imagine sort of the Mediterranean Ocean is here, and then Jerusalem's down here. Um, you've got Phoenicia along the coast, and then um, Cyprus is an island out here, and then Antioch is up here. And Tarsus is going to be out over here. And then, um, let's see, Cyrene is over here in North Africa, in modern-day Libya. So it's not a very good map right there, but give you an idea of some of the geographic spread of the group that was coming together here. Um, we're going to see later in Acts 13, now the passage I didn't read, says there were in the church in Antioch prophets and teachers. Barnabas, now Barnabas was a Levite, so he's of Jewish descent from Cyprus. So he's part of the Jewish diaspora. He'd been from Jerusalem, from Israel, living out in, uh, on the island of, of Cyprus. Simeon, who was called Niger, Niger is Latin, means black, which means he was likely from Africa. Lucius of Cyrene. Again, Cyrene is in Africa. Monoton, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. So he's friends with the royal family in Jerusalem. And Saul, a Jew from Tarsus. So you have this extremely diverse group that is leading the church. So you had in the early church um, people crossing geographical and national boundaries to share the gospel. You also had people crossing language barriers. Verse 19 says, At first, they were speaking the word to no one except Jews. But then in verse 20 it says, But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. Now, Hellenists were people who spoke Greek. And so they've moved now from the Jews, who probably spoke Aramaic, now to Greek-speaking um, Gentiles. Every time I preach in Japan, I'm reminded of how challenging it is to cross language barriers um, when preaching the gospel. Um, and maybe it was similar. Uh, maybe Paul was up there preaching with a translator next to him, you know, doing every line back and forth. Or maybe these, maybe these preachers studied the language and learned it in order to share in different languages. I can testify to how challenging that is. 
We also see the gospel crosses cultural barriers because see, the Hellenists were not just uh, Greek in their language, they were Greek in their culture. And so we have missionaries going out and sharing the gospel with people who are very different from them. It's another challenge that we see in our church in Japan. We have Americans, Japanese, Filipinos, Australians, Koreans, Congolese, Chinese. Um, it's hard to speak to people of so many different cultures because sometimes the things that one culture considers rude and other says is okay. Um, the things that one culture finds funny, the other con- culture doesn't. Um, the ways we display emotions, the way our, our worldviews are different. It's real challenging to share the gospel across cultures. It takes grace and patience and sometimes a sense of humor. We also see the gospel crosses economic boundaries. 29 says, The disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. So you have a church with resources sending money to a church without. Um, the, the rich assisting the poor. Um, that's missional giving. You guys do that. Um, even just supporting us, helping us to go to Japan. That's a way of, of a, a church with resources helping the churches that don't have resources. But if you notice in, in that verse, it also says, each one gave everyone according to his ability. And what that means is that people's abilities were different. There were income disparities in the church. Everyone was generous, but their abilities were different. That means there were rich people and poor people in the church. And this, I think, is what makes the church in Antioch so amazing. People came together despite differences in geography, language, cultural background, education, race, and economic status. What do you call a group like that? See, I don't think they had a suitable term. Imagine someone that they see this meaning of the church, and it's so diverse, and they say, what are those people? How could you answer? Are they, are they, are they Jews? No. I mean, some of them are Jews, but not all of them. Are they, are they Gentiles? No, some, but not really. Are they rich? No. Are they the poor people? No. Are they foreigners? Some. Are they locals? Some. All of them are some of those things, but none of them are all of those things. There's no label. There's no word to identify what they are. The second half of verse 26 says, And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. And I think maybe that's because there wasn't any other name to call them. What are they? They're Christians. I'm convinced that that is part of the reason that the church grew so quickly. People saw something different. They saw how the gospel could transcend all those barriers that usually keep people apart. I think it's no coincidence that the first official church missionaries were sent from the church in Antioch because they weren't focused on being with people just like themselves. The gospel compelled them to step outside their comfort zones and be in relationship across 
all of those barriers. I, uh, I saw this quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones. <clears throat> He's a famous British pastor. Um, I want you to think I was just sitting around reading Martin Lloyd-Jones. But uh, it actually was on Twitter. Someone put it on Twitter. So I saw it. <clears throat> it says, when the church is absolutely different from the world, she invariably attracts it. I'll say that again. When the church is absolutely different from the world, she invariably attracts it. You know, so often... The church has tried to look just like the world. You know, if we can fit in, if we can be like the world, then the world will come. But Lloyd-Jones says, no. You see, when the church is different, when the church is displaying its unique identity and displaying the gospel and looking different from the world, that's when the world looks at the church and says, there's something going on there, and I want to know more about it. I'm sure Mike will, will talk more about General Assembly this past week. Um, there are some great things going on in our denomination. Um, you didn't say the most important thing. After 43 years, we have a logo. It, it took us 43 years to pass a logo. And it looks kind of like Django Fett. Um, but, uh, but we had this, we passed this thing about racial reconciliation. And there were... To see people admitting a history of racism um, that is true in our church, a legacy in which Presbyterian pastors you know, preached that slavery was God's ordained uh, you know, institution. It's exciting to see our church trying to at least make some kind of amends for that and to recognize our failings in the past so that we can be more multicultural, so that we can, can welcome those who are different from us. I think it's a beautiful thing. So maybe you're here today and you're not really sure what it means to be a Christian. You know, those people in Antioch, they were called Christians. And maybe, maybe you think, I, I guess I know what a Christian is, but... That certainly doesn't identify me. Or maybe you are a Christian, but when you think about what you are, there's actually something else that comes to mind, something else that defines you. I had a friend in college, and if you had asked her, um, what are you? She might have said, <clears throat> I'm a murderer. So when she was in high school, she had a boyfriend. And uh, she got pregnant. And she was scared. She wasn't ready to have a child. She was a sports star. And, uh, and having a baby would have ruined everything for her, she thought. And so she, um, she had an abortion. It was against her faith and it was against her conscience. But at the time, she felt like it was her only choice. And then she carried that guilt with her. And in her mind, it defined her. So if you said, what are you? She certainly would have said, I'm a Christian. But she also would have said, I'm a murderer. See, for a lot of us, our past mistakes define us. Or our losses define us. Or what we have suffered 
defines us. On the other hand, I mean, maybe you think that the great things that you have accomplished define who you are, or some part of your identity that makes you special. That's who you are. Probably most of you have seen the movie Toy Story. I was asked if I was going to use a movie illustration. Uh, I have one. So the movie Toy Story is about toys who come to life when their owner's not there. The story of Sheriff Woody, who's been the favorite toy for many years, but then a new toy shows up. He's a super cool toy. Buzz Lightyear, Space Ranger. You guys seen Toy Story? Anyone out there? Good. But the problem is Buzz does not understand that he is a toy. And uh, Woody argues with him. Of course, Tom Hanks plays Woody and uh, Tim Allen playing Buzz Lightyear. And Woody says to him, you are a toy. You aren't the real Buzz Lightyear. You're an action figure. You're a child's plaything. Buzz says, I am a space ranger and I can fly. But then he has this moment in the movie where he realizes he's not special. He's not really a space ranger. They're trapped in the, <clears throat> the neighbor's house and he hears this voice saying, come in, Buzz Lightyear. He says, oh, it's Star Command. But he realizes it's a television commercial. And he goes in and he watches this commercial. And, and, and they're showing that he's just a toy. And there's a scene of, you know, he's flying, but it's a kid holding him. And it says across the bottom, not a flying toy. <laughs> and the commercial ends and you see a toy store with just walls of action figures completely identical to him, all lined up in their boxes. And, and he's crushed. He looks down at his, his little communicator thing and he sees Made in Taiwan written on his, on his hand. And, and it's this, this realization is coming to him, I'm not a space ranger, I'm a toy. But then he says, but I can fly. And he climbs up onto a, it's a railing and there's a window, and he looks at that window, and there's this music playing. It's a very powerful scene, and, and he says, to infinity and beyond, and he jumps, and for a second, it looks like he's going to fly, and then he slowly starts to fall and loses momentum, and you see his face in this look of shock. As he's falling towards the ground, and he hits the stairs, and he tumbles down the stairs, and he's laying on the ground. And as the camera pans out, you see his limbs splayed all over. His, his arm has become detached and is next to him. And his spirit is completely broken. He's laying there realizing that the identity that he thought gave him meaning is worthless. You know, every one of us comes to that place in our lives. When we feel broken 
and crushed and lost. Because if you have some identity that defines you, then the day is going to come when you will be disappointed by that identity. You'll lose your job. Or you'll get too old to do what you used to do. Or someone will come along who's better than you. None of those identities, all those ones I mentioned earlier, none of them can carry the weight of ultimate meaning. And when you fail, what is left of your identity? And maybe you're here and you're saying, I don't know what you're talking about. Because I know my identity and it's, it's good enough. What well, can I say? If you've never come to this place in your life, it's because you still think you're a space ranger. You are fooling yourself. But see, the important thing is not what you are. It is who you belong to. There's a later scene in the movie. Buzz and Woody are captured. And Buzz is despondent. He's not trying to escape. He says to, to Woody, I'm worthless. Nothing matters. And Woody says, you matter. Because there's a person next door who loves you. You're not just any toy, you're Andy's toy. And Buzz lifts up his foot and he looks down and it says the name Andy written on his foot. In Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. That name Christian, it means Christ one. It means the one who has Christ's name put upon him. If you are a Christian, it means you belong to Jesus. Revelation 3.12, Jesus talking to the church in Philadelphia. He says, I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, and my own name. Jesus says, if you are a Christian, I write my name on you. Isaiah 49, 16 says, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. And if, we, if you sing the song, Before the throne of God above, my name is graven on his hand. My name is written on his heart. It means that he will never forget those who belong to him. Christian, this is the only label. This is the only identity that truly matters. No matter what happens in life, do not forget to whom you belong. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, God, we confess that we, we try to find these identities in life that define us. We try to find the thing that makes us special. And we trust in those things, but Father, we confess that they are never good enough. Not our race, or our nationality, our, our job, or our, our role. Those things will all fail us. But what matters is that we belong to you. 
And Father, you loved us so much that you bought us. You sent your son to pay the ultimate price so that you could purchase us for yourself. And now we belong to you. You have placed your name upon us. You've called us Christians. You've called us your children. We thank you for that. May we live in light of that promise and that blessing. May that be the identity that we cling to that defines us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Receive the Lord's benediction. Shu Espisto no Meguni. Kami no ai. Sere no Majiwariga. Anathagata Subeteto Tomoni Arimasioni. And with the grace of Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.